Some films are mediocre Some films aren't good or bad Some films won't win an Oscar Globe, BAFTA, or a SAG You like those flicks? Come get your fix In a podcast called Mixed Bag Kia ora! Welcome to Mixed Bag, where we review the mixed, muddled, meh, and mediocre movies of film history. Um, my name is Sister Matthew, and I'm blessed and highly favoured. I'm Sister Abel today, because... No, I'm Sister Kane, um, and I go around murdering other nuns. I'm Sister Mary Cassandra, and I'm just singing with the joy of the Lord. Hey, hey, hey. Have a hey, blessed really. day. How's it going? We're getting yeah. spiritual this ep. Welcome to our, our Christian Revival podcast. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, nice, to, nice to see you all. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. this, this, this week, the mixed bag is full of manna. <laughs> <laughs> As a manner of speaking. Um, you can't f- do two, ma- like two, <laughs> two manna jokes Watch in a me. row. Okay. The manner um, is overflowing, okay? <laughs> so the vibe in NZ and around here is, is pretty good. We might be getting to level two next week. There are we too many people on the streets. Yeah. Get them out yeah. of the streets. Step the down moment, instead of step moment, up too. <laughs> step up off the streets, yeah. everyone. <laughs> Get up your act together, sister, and still stay home. <laughs> I thought you Nailed might, it. I Nailed thought you were able to find your way out of that one if we just let you go, but instead you got lost. Yeah, <laughs> right. um, yeah it's stressful. I, I I feel like I've developed a kind of agoraphobia. I'm just being stressed because I'm still working from home and I have lots and lots and lots of marking to do for the students that I'm tutoring at the university and marking takes a long time. It's very difficult. Yeah. What are you working uh, it's on? It's been very stressful. Um, Cass, what are so, these, these um, students working on? So I'm uh, teaching theatre, I'm a tutor at Victoria University, uh, so I am doing a lot of marking uh, for the New Zealand theatre course, which is the one that is kind of doing my head in, in terms of lots of very awesome work coming in from the students, but just a lot of assignments, we really gave them a lot, uh, which you don't notice till you have to mark it all. Um, And then I'm also assistant directing a digital production of Three Sisters, which I'll tell you guys all about on this podcast. Is that us? Uh, Three sisters. It's a three sister act. Um, But yeah, I I will advertise that in due course. It will be very cool. You'll be able to see it online in a digital storytelling format. Can't wait to see it. This is the second of the the Chekhov digital formats. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure there have been multiple Chekhov digital formats in the world. True, but two in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. One time. (laughs) The other one is the ATC Seagull, which is probably we'll talk about in the. Pop corner. Which we can go to right now. Pop, 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 pop corner. One of the pop corners that I wanted to shout out um, uh, that we've been watching is an adaptation of The Seagull by Auckland Theatre Company. It's by Eleanor Bishop and Eli Kent, um, who used to run the Playground Collective. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'd really recommend uh, checking it out. Circuit Theatre is also going to be doing some uh, commission works pretty soon, uh, which has been keeping my hands full. Uh, The first of which is a trick of the light um, piece uh which uh will be revealed very shortly mm, so that's what you're getting in the realm of theater this week yeah or this mm. near future i guess this near future <laughs> yeah. yeah what else have what you guys have you been, been watching up to? oh jinx <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, I'll go. Um, so we uh, talked about last podcast that we were looking forward to watching the half of it on Netflix, I believe, um, and we watched that. I haven't really seen cute. it. Oh, that's nice it's to hear. It's lovely. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's bittersweet in the way that you would expect um, the sort of subject matter to be. It sort of follows a young uh, queer woman who's growing up as the only Chinese person or along with her dad in a small white town in middle America. Um and it sort of bases its narrative on the Cyrano de Bergerac uh, Oh, yeah, that's right, line. yeah. She um, writes letters yeah. in, in so behalf yeah, of a boy, of, right? There's this, there's this kind of lunk-headed but well-meaning uh, jock boy who really li- has decided he's in love with this girl who our protagonist has already had a bit of a crush on, and so he pays her to um, write letters uh, on his behalf, or like do te- uh, carry on text conversations with this girl on his behalf. Oh, nice. His two big passions are being attracted to this girl because she's pretty and uh, sausages, and he is innovating <laughs> the yeah. first taco He's sausage. He created the first taco sausage, and that's his his that life goal. That sounds amazing. Um, and he, yeah, it's it's some there's some very good specific character observation stuff in there, which is very fun. That's good. Um, some of the pacing's a little bit weird, but like it's still definitely worth watching yeah uh, and do you know where the dad is from i uh tracked him down because oh. he had a familiar face he's the key maker in um the matrix um sequels oh. so it's go. great to see that he's still busy i really nice. love cyrano um narratives i'm like a sucker for them surprise yeah but, so i'm definitely looking forward to catching this one it's yeah. it's just a it's just so, such a weird specific tale that i don't get sick of of like oh cool someone's pretending to be somebody else um yeah, uh, there's, yeah, the pacing's a bit weird, as you said. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, someone is pretending to be someone else in this short film that I saw <gasps> called what the, was that? the Picture of Catherine Gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you so want to talk about that? Um, the 48-hour um, film that we made is now available to be viewed online um, called The Picture of Catherine Gray, and it was you great fun. You can see it at the 48hours.co.nz screening rooms. So I enjoyed it. Here. It was fun. It was a it was a cool jam. And I'm um, gonna say, like I like the transformation of your um, room was pretty pretty impressive. <laughs> yes, one of the uh, major uh, filmmaking difficulties we had was that we needed to shoot this film in 48 hours um, in our house, which is very very small. We have two rooms and a bathroom, um, so we had to move all of the things that could identify our, any, anything in our bedroom as being our house uh, out of the room, which took. A good good couple hours. Yeah, you'll see in the in the short that the room is supposed to be like a sparse like um, uh, residency cottage, and um, that was resulted in the other room that you couldn't see just being piled full of everything just so under much the crap. Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, Cass gives a really cool performance. It's really creepy. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. We, well, I did some Edgar Wright flourishes uh, before I realised that <laughs> Edgar Wright actually was a judge in the competition, so it looked like I was sucking up. But oh. that's all good. Um, well, yeah. it's a winner in my book, guys. Oh, <laughs> thanks, man. What have you been up to? Um, well, quite a few things, actually. Like In the realm of literature, I've finished the novel Less, um, the Pulitzer Prize-winning Less, um, and I, I liked it. It was like a queer story, which is always nice, and it's light, which is... I don't necessarily associate with Pulitzer Prize winning books, you know, hmm. they're usually they're pretty important. And um, I mean, they're all important. Every literature piece of literature is important, but you know, um, the air of importance is there, but this is kind of like nice breezy. Yes. It, it does like um, explore themes like 
you know, melees and um, the meaning of life and stuff like that. But it's also like a really cute romantic comedy by the end. So it's, you know, up my alley. And speaking of the Pulitzers, they came out this week and Colson Whitehead um, won his second Pulitzer for the Nickel Boys. Um, Colson Whitehead um, wrote the Underground Railroad for um, the people who do not know that. Um, and that's going to come out soon, I hope. I think Barry Jenkins is adapting it into a miniseries. Yes, um, right. And you know what? Anything um, Barry, di- Barry dishes. Barry Jenkins dishes out. <laughs> Barry dishes? <laughs> yeah. Anything Barry dishes out, that's going to be great. Yeah. Um, no, and speaking on, on speaking on Pulitzer's, uh, Michael R. Jackson's A Strange Loop just right, won, won the Pulitzer yeah. for drama. Yes, incredibly exciting. It's the first ever like off Broadway musical that does not have a Broadway production currently in the pipeline or on Broadway yeah. uh, has ever won a Pulitzer Prize for drama, and only it's the, the first musical music- by a black writer. Yeah. And it's only yeah. the tenth musical to win um, the Pulitzer for for. Um, Drama. Yes, definitely. Uh, uh, definitely uh, tends to swing towards the straight plays rather yeah. than the musicals. So um, always exciting when a musical the wins. The original cast recording is available on Spotify if you want to have it's a listen. It's great. Have a jam. Terrific. It's very, very good. I, uh, in a very Matt-centric narrative with the Pulitzers, Manola Dargis once again loses the prize for criticism. Five-time finalist for the Pulitzer, Manola <laughs> oh Dargis. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> Do you have, like, a, a list of Pulitzer bridesmaids that you I can I think it's just Manola. <laughs> it's just been, like... <laughs> I think she's got a frenemy in the panel. <laughs> how can okay, you I like be, you enough to let you get nominated. How but can you'll you be nominated win. for five times and not win? <laughs> I guess they don't do legacy policies. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, in the realm of TV, um, I've been watching uh, Never I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Sorry, I ate my words. Um and it's this, you know, cute little story of a first generation um, Indian American girl living her teenage life, um, written by and created by Mindy Kaling, which is like really cute and heartwarming. Um, I love that, like, you kind of see a really like sexually um, crave, not craven, but like, you know, she's sex obsessed. Like, the main character is a South American, South American, South Asian girl who's. Um, you know, preoccupied with sex and boys, and you don't really get to see that. And I guess that's, like, kind of a running theme with um, Mindy's work in that she kind of works to normalise that um, South Asian women are, you know, especially in Western spaces, I guess, are just have the same kind of cravings and desires and uh, aspirations as any other woman. So it's my yeah. impression. I've w- we've watched the first two episodes of that and we're really enjoying it. So hopefully, also we I am obsessed with Paxton Hall Yoshida. <laughs> he is so fine. Also, he's twenty nine, so that's weird. But I, there, there are a few <laughs> a few people on both this and the half of it that I was like, really, this is a teen. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah the, the writing throughout, like the the voice of the writing, feels very genuine and believable, which is always the kind of concern with both that and the half of it as well. That when you're trying to write for this kind of audience, um, it can sound really patronising or, or or like how do you do, fellow kids? Um, but <laughs> none of that really um, exists in both this or the half of it. They both feel real yeah. refresh. Um, and in other TV news. Um, I watched the first season of Dead to Me in like two days. Christine Applegate and Linda Cardellini. Um, and obviously like season two dropped yesterday and I've watched like halfway through season two. 
But um, it took me so long to get into Dead to Me. Like, it, I've been putting it off mostly because I didn't really want to... To me, my first impression of the show was, like, it's obviously something about grief. And I was like, oh, I'm not in a place in my life to kind of, like, explore that at the moment. Um, but it's so wicked funny. It's, like, 100% my sense of humor. And now I'm kicking myself, like, about, like, you know, putting it off for so long. What, what's the premise? Well, um, <laughs> can I say the premise? So, um, yes. Um, uh, Christina Applegate's character, her husband, gets killed. And, um, you know, like, she joins this grief support group and befriends um, Linda Cardellini. And at the end of the pilot episode, which I'm going to spoil, it's re- revealed that um, Linda Cardellini is the one who was driving the car that, um, you know, run her husband over. And, you know, like, every episode has, like, twists and turns. Like, the sense of humor is really acerbic and caustic and really funny. And, um, yeah, it's just a... F- a fun ride watching these two. Like, I knew this was a show for me when they made a Kate and Ellie reference in the first episode. <laughs> a Kate, and Kate and Ellie is a an 80s sitcom starring Jane Curtin and Susan St. James, and I knew that was the show for me. <laughs> it's good. I think you should watch it. Yeah, we'll check it out. Yeah. And in terms of film, I've been watching just, like, light and frothy stuff. I watched Emma, period. Um... <laughs> from this year and um no it was good it was uh i think i just really like the story it's like i mean i think we mostly know this from clueless um but i think yeah it was it just got like a beautiful sense of whimsy the production and costume design is just beautiful um it's the debut feature of this woman called autumn dewilda who's like a photographer so props to her i hope she creates more stuff um, I watched The Edge of Seventeen for the first time, and um, Haley Steinfeld is killing it. She's a star. Um, I hope she gets more work and um, stays away from shit movies because she's she's the future. She's the like uh, honestly, her and Saoirse Ronan are just so incredibly talented, and like this movie completely fulfills on the promise of her amazing performance in True Grit. And I, what else have I watched? Has oh. she gotten anything on like the cusp of like, like what what's coming up um, after this? I don't know. She's like, I don't think she's. I mean, we're all on like freeze totally. at the moment. But um, she recently did Dickinson. She was the lead in yeah, Dickinson, right. which is oh, the that, yeah. Emily Dickinson show, which I'm kind of curious to see because Jane Krakowski plays her mother, and Jane Krakowski is always a good time. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Mulaney's in that as well, right? Yeah. And yeah. TV's not like it used to be seen as like a step kind of backwards. And she's it's not she's the lead, and she's playing yeah. Emily Dickinson. Like that's fine. And I feel mm-hmm. like careers get revitalized every day. Anyways, I think she's twenty three years old. Like she can do whatever she wants, really. Yeah, um, people like you know Anna Paquin had like a breathing kind of period before she went rogue. And she's doing a lot of stuff. She's doing her music. You know, she's doing modeling. Like she's just living her life. Yeah. And I love her because she's part Filipino. Even though she may or may not have voted for Trump. Can't confirm or deny. <laughs> she did not vote for Trump. <laughs> it was a joke. I know. All lies. <laughs> oh, you know no what? No slander about him. <laughs> Last week we were talking about Ming Na Wen and we didn't like mention that she was Mulan. We, we did. did. Did like we? Like three times. We said oh. it. Maybe somebody wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Well, that was 
like we tore <laughs> into that, her. Oh, with that, uh, yeah. we tore into her a lot, and I'm just saying, like, I know that's the thing that's amazing. It's like, how did you become predominantly a around. voice actor yeah. when your voice acting that's like, is no, so I remember. bad? Oh my god! Oh man! But you know, amazing. She'll get a we'll pass leave that in the past. Me. Leave it in the previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> she'll always give, get a pass for me for being Mulan. I'm sorry for slandering you. The she's whole not episode. bad at Mulan. Like she's she not. clearly got she's better bad. at voice acting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I want to do one final um, shout out uh, is uh, the calming uh, um, meditative quality of puzzles Um, now that we can order uh, uh, stuff uh, around uh, from businesses um, Cassandra and I uh, got our was jig that we got just tried to get just before lockdown but missed out we um, uh, snapped one up um, and have been playing that for the past two days and there is nothing like doing like in a thousand piece puzzle um because you go through all the emotions um you know you're you're calm and you're peaceful and your heart slows and then when it starts like getting together like the anticipation builds you get frustrated you get excited so just shout out to puzzles and the strange experience that it provides who made puzzles mr puzzle thank you (laughs) it's mr jigsaw actually oh is that a thing yeah No. no. Why not? <laughs> but like, did you just ask? Did Mr. Jigsaw invent Jigsaw? No, but like Thomas Jigsaw, like it could happen. Thomas Miranda Jigsaw. Jigsaw. It's cut by Thomas a Jigsaw. and Miranda, the biopic. <laughs> but it's like, cast it now. But someone had to come up with it. Someone had to actually, look at a it was, picture it was and be like, Jig and Miranda saw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone together. Someone looked at a picture and was like, I want to cut that fucking thing up and yeah. then put it back together. And the tagline is. Have you ever wondered why there's a missing piece in your heart? Well, mm. it, maybe that's the remake of Saw. You know, maybe that's Chris Rock's I don't know new about piece. That. <laughs> it ends with puzzles. Um, yeah, uh, and was Jig, we've never played one before, Cassaray, and you don't have an image to refer back to. It's a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. it's it's kick-ass. We are like I'm basically feeling my inner old man. Um, James is basically just I work he's circa, sleeping through this podcast I, so that he can get to do more jigsawing. <laughs> Hey, once you finish, and you I'm should, hungry. There's should, a little crackers, so if I don't seem eat a bit crackers on microphone, James. If You're I seem a, a bit recording. Oh, no, this is popcorn. Like, no, I'll just, I'll just stuff a few crackers this in my mouth. This is eating the crackers. This is a bit pre-opening the bag. <laughs> this is this is James is the editor of the podcast, and he's the one that complains yeah. every time Matt or I like bump the table accidentally <laughs> with our arms. Honestly, gesticulating wildly. My energy is going to improve dramatically if I just get a couple of these kind of oh, yeah. This chaos. <laughs> oh, you should so post dry. the picture of the finished product once you finish it. Yeah. We will. Okay. Yeah. And now you mean let's post move a picture on. of James's mouth currently as it is full of crackers. Oh, it's a work of art. Cracker on cracker. There you go. He was peeing out. I did, but no one want, listened to it. <laughs> well, no one. Okay. Well. There you go. Point proven. Mom. Let's head over to our let's feature. Let's head over to our feature presentation. I just want to point out that I made an Anna Packin rogue joke and no one responded. That was good. Thank you. I don't remember. Feature presentation. Okay. Oh, who's taking it? I can't speak. <laughs> I know. It's almost like you shouldn't be eating crackers on the microphone. <laughs> Um, all right, so Matt, this was your pick for the 1993 yeah. uh, series. So, what made you pick Sister Act 2? 
Well, in the grand tradition of what we've been doing for the 1993 season, we've been um, pulling family classics and offering them up for scrutiny. Now, my family wore out not Sister Act 2, but Sister Act 1, the original habit. <laughs> now, I loved, I loved Sister Act 1. Um, like, whenever my mom would, like, go to work and I'd, like, stay with my aunties, like, we just, like, bonded over it. I've watched Sister Act, the first one, like, a thousand times. I, we had, like, the cassette of the soundtrack and I'd go crazy for all of the hits, the bangers, like Shout and um, Hail Holy Queen and um, the other ones, My God and I Will Follow Him. So I loved, like, if there was, like, a movie that was my favorite, like, one of my favorites when I was a kid, it was Sister Act 1. Um... You know what? I'll name the six, I think. Sister Here Act. Here we go. Wait, are you doing, are you naming nun, nun films or are you naming no, the as six? No, like my his favorite, favorite films. childhood favorites. It, oh. Like, like BC, before Cinephilia. Like these before are my. Before Cinephilia, yeah. let's hear it. Mm. Name um, the six. Mulan, which was the first one I ever saw in a movie theater. Very um, good. <laughs> Space Jam, The Little Rascals. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love The that Little That was Rascals. one of mine, too. Yeah. Never um, seen it. Whoopi is also in that. Um, oh, true. Yeah. Uh, the First Wives Club, especially the sequence at the end where they sing You Don't Own Me. Um, and uh, Miss Congeniality, which all of those things explain a lot about me, by the so way. So those plus Sister Act. <laughs> yeah. Um, and obviously Sister Act 2 was also on rotation. So, like, I guess I just never gave it the full kind of... Um, focus that I did because it was always the annoying kid sister that was tagging along. So I did watch it a lot, but it was just like always um, kind of the afterthought after I was like all gleed out, all blessed from, from, from the blessings that were offered by Sister Act 1. But I do enjoy Sister Act 2. Um, uh, but yeah, I, it, it was always kind of in this inferior space to me. And we'll see if that's changed with this rewatch of Sister Act 2. And I think I offer this up as a mixed bag because it got significantly worse reviews. It got panned. (laughs) I I never realized this. I was looking on IMDb and it was uh, on the Rotten Tomatoes for this film. It's 7% positive. Mm. Like people hated Sister Act 2. And I just, I was trying to piece together why they hated it so much because it just seems unfathomable to me to have such anger well, we'll or get like into dislike it. for this yeah. film. But yeah. Um, do you want, what was your background with this film, James? My background with, I was very similar to Matt in terms of Sister Act, um, the first one. We, it was a childhood classic. Um, and I feel like, yeah, our family's kind of view towards. That film and Sister Act 2 was um, very similar and very emblematic of, of what people felt. Um, Sister Act delivered in terms of nuns. Everyone loved nuns. Oh, it was a nun nuns craze. Are amazing. Nuns on the run. What are they up to? They're doing crazy stuff. Um, and that one delivered in spades uh, in that regard. And with a lot of... <laughs> they had spades as well. <laughs> yeah. Nuns were armed with gardening tools. Nuns and hoes. Yeah. <laughs> in more than one sentence. Um, yeah, and so uh, we watched that a lot. Big fan of Whoopi um, as a kid, although there are some Whoopi omissions that I have uh, still have to fill in, like Ghost and The Color Purple. Um, Both of those are on Netflix, so you better catch up. Here we go. Yeah, Sister Act 2 I'd never seen um, because it was always like 
yeah, that public opinion of like, no, that one's not not real. That's not official. Um, like even more so than something like Ghostbusters Two, like uh, Sister Act Two was just kind of like a. To be fair, though, I never exist. like I didn't think that like because I had no conception of like what critical thing critical um, you know reporting was. So I just assumed that Sister Act Two was also popular. You know, like, mm. and I feel like most people kind of. Yeah, think of it as a classic as well as Sister Act 1. I think they're, they've both reached a certain amount of, like, status within the yeah, populace. Yeah, public opinion has yeah. for sure changed on this yeah. film compared to how it was when the critics decided they hated it. Whereas with my family, if they like something, they didn't bother with anything else. They, As we, we talked about on Grumpy Old Men, they just rewatched the same thing. They gave grumpier old men a try once, but then they were like, nah, I want the OG. It's <laughs> well, like going to McDonald's seen, and always ordering a Big Mac. I've never seen Miss Congeniality 2 armed and fabulous because it looks bad. Like, I, I'm <laughs> never going to see it, despite Miss Congeniality being a BC top six film. <laughs> and what was your history, cast? So, as viewers, listeners of the podcast and friends of Cassandra will know, uh, famously... I grew up watching Sister Act 2, watched Sister Act 2 multiple times, until this week I had never seen Sister Act 1, because why would I? Sister Act 2 has so much to give. It has an incredible soundtrack, which we had on cassette tape, which used to blast in the car all the time. I know all the songs from this film, including the ones like the random background song from when they're in the hairdressers, because that was on the soundtrack. Um... Just the like ah the 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 school kids are in this one. The school kids weren't in Sister Act One, and when I found that out, I was like, why do we even watch this? What is that? Um, and so yeah, I had just no desire to really see Sister Act One. I will say that I have seen Sister Act the musical, uh, and so I did know most of the plot and the beats and all the rest of it of Sister Act One. It wasn't a complete like surprise when I finally watched it this week. Um, but yeah, Sister Act Two has been an immortal classic in my household. Uh, since an early age, uh, and so that's where I come from. But didn't you ever wonder, like, who is Maggie Smith? Oh no, because you well, get who, to, who is Sister Roberts? It's called you know. context clues. Like, I also understood, like, you know, you you, you that you understand. But didn't what you want to know one. more? I'm like, oh, sister. Well, I think when my mum first showed me Sister Act Two, she said, okay, so in the first one, she like joins this nun thing to hide in witness protection, and she teaches them to sing. And, and I'm when like, you like, when you like, hold the phone, what witness protection? Mobsters? Harvey Keitel? I'm not interested in that stuff. Oh, <laughs> that is completely the opposite. Like, I just realized now that like Sister Act and Miss Congeniality basically have the same plot, where you take like a woman, a strong woman, who's like. And, and place them in a field that's like completely alien to them and they're like a fish out of water and then they thrive and become superstars in that field. Nunnery and beauty pageants. Fucking yeah, amazing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and then two very different, uh, uh, you know, if you were to do a spectrum of like women showing off their bodies, I guess. Uh, <laughs> two sides. Like beauty pageants. You're like, hello, this is my body. And then oh, there's sure, a nun, okay, you're like, yeah, hello, I, gotcha. I would like to hide. Well, you know, cover up and praise yeah. the Lord. Well, yeah. Um, Sandra Bullock was an FBI agent who didn't want to show her body in the movie. And then she was like, oh, actually, these women are actually, you know, most of them, I guess, are fighting for a good cause. Yeah, there's like one mean one or something. I've only seen it once. No, I think, I mean, I just want to say in general, because obviously not all beauty pageant contestants are in it for the right reasons, oh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
should we get to um, some more, a little bit more context around the film first and then um, get into the plot? Um, so, as Kay said, 7% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.6 on IMDb. It still made a little bit of a profit. Yeah. Um, I would, but also, 93% of Google users liked this film. So, oh. <laughs> the, the public we... has spoken. <laughs> and do you know about the sequel that is planned? Uh, for that that was talked about in in 2018. Well, it didn't no. happen. Wait, Sister what Act, was going to happen? Sister Act three um, was scheduled in December. Yeah, 2018. An article came out that they have writers for a third movie that was going to be on Disney Plus, and oh, no. it was going to star different actors, and no. Whoopi was going to cameo, and she wanted to direct it as well. I mean, no. I don't mind that as long as like, cause my ideal scenario for Sister Act 3 is like Whoopi is still a significant part of it but she's like a supporting role she's like say like Julie Andrews in The Princess Diaries that's her role mm. and the Anne Hathaway yeah. role is Cardi B as the new lady in the in the convent she's amazing she's electric on screen and um, I think that dynamic fits for like the modern times it's kind of like you would probably do like a light remake of the first one just to introduce um, the general audiences to Sister Act 3, to Sister Act, those who aren't familiar, because, I mean, who wouldn't be familiar with Sister Act, mm. by the way? But I think that's a great, like, premise. I mean, she's a bad bitch from the streets of New York going into a nunnery, like the least place you would expect Cardi B to be, you mm. know? I think, yeah, it, as... I mean, this film kind of puts Whoopi in a kind of a supporting um, role. Um, I wouldn't uh, say that. Is the I case. think I think no. well, she's not she's the lead. She's the point of view character. She is. Yeah. Well, oh, I, and, I, and I, I feel like you could three. None of that. <laughs> none of that. Um, yeah, I think there, there there definitely is a third version that you could do that would be successful, and Whoopi was going to be. Um, Dolores on stage before the the COVID um, uh, struck and so she's clearly still interested in that role and that world Um, but you got to do it right it Um, has to have Whoopi in it I think yeah Yeah. like the strength of these two films really rests a lot on her shoulders and like her personality and like her star persona Mm. like that I can't really imagine her not being a part of this franchise in any way moving forward if we do get further films yeah, what I'd hate is like, I, I liked the the uh, the Ghostbusters remake that not the one coming up, but the one that we saw um, with Kate McKinnon. But like thinking about uh, how the original Ghostbusters are used in that of like, hello, I'm just here briefly, goodbye. Actually, like I can't imagine if they did that to Whoopi, the injustice. That you know what would make me relent though, if the the head nun was played by Lauren Hill. <laughs> Who is famously late for everything? Who's a famously famously difficult to work with in every way? And if she shows up on set with that nun outfit on, I'd be like, hallelujah! It's a miracle. It's a miracle. I guess you could make Whoopi, and she's done this on stage, the the Reverend Mother, and like get to play something completely different. Yeah, but I feel like yeah, Maggie's still alive. A and B, like her whole energy. I don't feel like it's. I don't know if that's really playing into what makes yeah, Whoopi what we love a about good her. performer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, I I know I've said this before, but like this role wasn't even Whoopi's originally. This was that's right with really? Bette Midler in mind, which I think would that's have worked. Right. But it'd like, be very different. Different but, movie. You know, yeah. Yeah. 
But I could see myself enjoying that sister act also. Yeah. Yeah. She well, should we t- sum up the, the plot of Sister Act 2 uh, now? In Do a movie, movie in a minute. In a minute? Yeah. Unless you, I cut you off, Matt. Do you have anything you want to say? I was just going to say she turned it down because <laughs> I don't. She didn't think her fans would want to see her as a nun. And you know huh? what, Bet? I think you underestimate how much people go crazy for nuns. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the nun craze. It was. It was real. <laughs> nun. Yeah. This is why nun exploitation is a a genre because, like, yeah. you know, nun exploitation had come and gone at this point, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but still, see, there's something about it, like about nuns that, like, they hold great mystery, but also you kind of like. Want to find out what that mystery is? Yeah, and, and they're just the, inherently funny. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Nuns are funny. And the idea that they're getting up to stuff that they shouldn't be, like in the musical nonsense, like one of them poisons all the other nuns. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's crazy. It's mad cat. Yeah. Um, but there's. I think there's it's called mad habit, James. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, and with that, we move to movie in a minute. Cass is going to take this one. Um, I think I got this one. Uh, Ready to go in three, two, one. Dolores Van Cartier is back, and Reverend Mother needs her help. The nuns from the old, the, the previous film have taken over a school in downtown San Francisco in a poor neighborhood, and it's really difficult because the kids are running wild. So Whoopi Goldberg dons the habit again and sits back, sits back into the role of Sister Mary Clarence. She decides to take over the kids' music class. At first, the kids are really unruly. We meet a whole lot of them, which includes like some rapping boys, this young like black nationalist boy, and Lauren Hill. Um, and she's at first not sure what to do with them, but then she realizes she could make them into a Halfway. choir because they're all very good at singing. The kids practice. Suddenly they get better. They perform this incredible version of Oh Happy Day featuring Amal doing a beautiful high note which makes Cassandra cry every time. Then they finally go to the competition in Hollywood. The kids are worried the other school's choirs look like they're much professional and more formal. They're from richer schools. But then the kids follow their heart. They do a beautiful version of Joyful Joyful. And finally, they win the praise and they win the fight, the biggest role, the, the biggest uh, prize at the competition. And the uh, person that's in charge of the school board, all the school board people say the school must time. remain open. It was going to be closed. <laughs> Good job. Nice. What I like that in your description, uh, Lauren Hill plays herself in the film. Ah, <laughs> uh, basically. <laughs> yeah. But no, that was great. Well done. Yeah. Why do uh, we so like it. Sister Act 2? Sister Act 2. Sister Act... So the, this is the thing that I, I, I was sort of thinking about. Like, okay, why did people dislike Sister Act 2? And I was like, oh, because what people were expecting when they went to go see Sister Act 2 is they were expecting the same type of film as Sister Act 1, which is a fish-out-of-water tale, which you've sort of talked about, like, just before, talking about miscongeniality, that, like, I think Sister Act is, like, a a pretty good example of, like, the classic uh, fish-out-of-water comedy. Um, And Sister Act 2 is a totally different convention genre to that like it still has the same characters but instead what it is is an inspiring teacher narrative and it's a like performing like children and being inspired by performing arts narrative which is a different comedy convention and personally I think it is the best example of that because that's not like it's one that is done badly a lot of the time um and I think this is a good version of that um most of the like inspiring teacher narratives have this like white savior narrative element, which is like a kind of icky and is like you know a, a huge drawback to that as a um, as a general comedy or like yeah, even like comedy drama like convention. It's, John Candy and Silent Running. Yeah, it's the um like the Dangerous Minds yeah, whatever Michelle, the Freedom Riders stuff. I love Riders how you stuff. went to G to John Candy and my mind was like Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hillary Swank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like it's so often it's like, you know, white teacher inspiring these like black and brown kids. Yeah. And here you've got Whoopi Goldberg. So she's relating to these kids um, because they have this shared passion for music. And she realizes that it can reach across the generations um, and that these children have untapped potential and talent that they don't believe in themselves. And um, because of the background that they've got, they don't really think that they're good at anything. Um, and yeah, that means that there are parts of this movie that I find like actually quite moving and not just like <laughs> saying j jokingly like there are parts of it that I do find quite moving in Sister Act 2 I don't find any, anything in Sister Act 1 moving I think there's a lot of stuff that's funny but I don't think it tries to be moving because it's just kind of more of a, a comedy um, and so that's why I feel like Sister Act 2 is it's got different goalposts. It's got different, it's trying to do a different thing than Sister Act 1. And I think that's why people didn't like it. It's because they were coming in there, they were thinking it was going to be like Sister Act 1, but just a different version. And then they got a totally different film. And then they didn't let it succeed on its own terms. But I think it totally does succeed if you go to its own its own terms. I agree. I think, I think if you were going to make a sequel to um, Sister Act 1, I think this is probably a good way to go because... A lot of what we enjoyed in Sister Act 1 was the singing and the innovative choirs and like the harmonies and stuff like that. And integrating it into a school kind of narrative was an easy way and an effective way to, to tell the story, to continue the story, and um, was a good way to reflect, you know, um, the world outside of the, the, con the convent, really. Like hmm. going to the, the people who are maybe in trouble who are less fortunate and who the nuns would be like, who would like to help and seeing a peek into their lives and, you know, them coming through and succeeding. And it's very inspirational. And I do. Yeah. I, I love like my favorite moments of sister act two are the two music, two big musical numbers. I think oh, the same. I think I, most people's I are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like this is why I still really love this movie because I, I just like, I still rewatch Oh Happy Day and, and they're iconic, honestly. Iconic. One of the most iconic lines in cinema. Yes. Your teacher says, teacher take, says take, off your take off your robes. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> oh, pull them off. It's I'd like so to, good. I'd like to I just keep wanna, them on, please. <laughs> I just want to circle around, uh, back around to what you said around um, uh, what people were expecting like for like a sequel. Um, I feel like one of the things that did work for the first one is the singing, and they do definitely enhance that and build that up. Like They make it a much there stronger, more, singing more robust part yes. of it. It's more but, of a musical film. But I think um, what people think they liked about the first one, and probably did like, but it's more superficial, is just non-nonsense. It's just nonsense. Well, I was going to talk about this later, but we'll get into it now. There aren't enough nuns in Sister Act 2. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if we need it, but I think definitely from a general public perspective, yeah. there but wasn't yeah. enough. The thing about Sister Act 1 is that the thing you like, the singing is a big part of what you liked about Sister Act 1, but what I also fell in love with was, apart from the singing, was the sisters themselves. Kathy and Jimmy, a sister Mary Patrick... Wendy McKenna, a sister Mary Robert, Mary Wicks, a sister Mary Lazarus, and Maggie Smith as the mother superior, and all the gaggle of nuns. They're just like, that's why you come back. They just like have this overwhelming feeling of, of just like pure joy and sunshine. And that's, you know, and they were funny. Like the comedy in the first one was top notch. And like, and I get why I, it makes sense that, um, you know, when, when they came back for the sequel, you know, it wasn't a comedy, I guess, from Cass's point of view. But it also, they tried jokes and they weren't funny. 
Like I would say there are still the funny jokes in Sister Act 2. There may be like a couple of times where I was like, oh, okay, that was funny. I laughed. But I would Act- say having watched them back to back, I did not find Sister Act 1 hugely funnier than Sister Act 2. I thought it was funny. I like, thought the performances were funny. The writing was pretty weak. Okay, think, well, that's what it is, really. Yeah. I think it, yeah. it's performances. You fall in love with, yeah. with who they are. Yeah, and that's what it is. Like, that's the actors. Like, Sister Mary Patrick, as a creation, like, in the way Kathy and Jimmy portrays her, just, like, with abs- like no judgments whatsoever, like, you could easily look down on that character. But the way she portrays it is just like, no, this is just who she is. And I just, like, love that. Like, I fall in love with, like, with this recent rewatch. I was just like, look at what she's doing there. And, like, a lot of actress wouldn't, actresses wouldn't have made that choice, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, I guess the the um, difficulty that this team had was with a sequel, you have to do, you like, how do you tell a new story but still make it the same? Make it, as uh, Ken Duncan said, uh, talking, uh, our script writing teacher uh, uh, for uh, Matt and myself, um, how do you make it act one and act two? How do you make act two the same but different? And it's similar with a sequel as well. Um and in terms of like all of those wonderful nuns, we got them in the first film. Like there's that's not going away, and they're still here. They didn't like just like chuck them out. But this film does introduce like a a, a new kind of roster of like quite weird surreal people, the like priests. the priests, the priests. And a wonderful villain um, played the by James crispy. Coburn. Yeah. Oh, James Coburn is just like one of the great like voices and villains of our time, of our cinematic time. Yeah. Like even his like hand was villainous. Like it was like a claw. <laughs> and that might be like physical problems on his part, but you know, it <laughs> fits the works character. It. He works yeah. those physical problems. And I think he's he's like almost a better villain than Harvey Keitel's in uh the monster in the first Har- one. Harvey who Keitel, isn't really yeah. meant to be. I think Harvey Keitel was definitely a, a lot more of a comedic villain and like you know you never I never worried for Dolores at all but like even then the stakes were higher for me in the first one because mm. it's literally life and death yeah, yeah it's like more like it's a different type of like I guess villainy mm. <laughs> it's you, not the sort of same and kind you of cast Kaitel because you have that quick touchstone like it could have been Robert De Niro or Al Pacino as well oh, of like Joe Pesci. cool sweet yeah. mobster yeah Joe Pesci yeah. Um, and he was busy doing my Ray- cousin Vinny in that same year <laughs> In Sister Act 3, what I want to see if we bring back everybody is I want Dolores to have to go to a prison and make it like full Hannibal Lecter, like make a whole like Marvel universe where he's like, oh yeah, that cheap cologne that you got on. And she has to go to Kaitel for help. In order to, I don't know. Who knows? Sister Act 3, bring it back to the nuns. I just want more I nuns. Yeah. I, I want I, I Kathy would... and Jimmy and Wendy McKenna back. Mary Wicks I has passed away. James Coburn <laughs> to rise from the dead. <laughs> I would say that, like, the thing that I think, like, still works with the nun characters and Sister Act 2, being as a kid, like, I found both those characters very memorable, even though, like, all, like it will end Sister Mary Lazarus as well, like, uh, see, uh, even though I'd only seen them in the second one. Like, I... But yeah. because I think the because it's so rooted in their performances, like the fact that they don't get as much stuff to do because there's more characters in the second one and it's got to be slightly more spread out screen time with each of these new characters oh, yeah, as obviously. well. I still felt like that each of those performers is good enough that I understood like, okay, I understand this full character. They're and good enough, they're, but you don't you know. get enough of them. Like I always yeah. miss them. The kids are a drip. Like most of them I are. I like oh. the kids. Like, I enjoy the kids. I like most of them. Like... 
Lauren Hill being moody. I'm in um, little baby um, African nationalist Amal. <laughs> Lauren Amal. I find Amal's lines like extremely funny, but I don't know if that's just uh, age. It's just aged poorly. <laughs> um, I do love um, a young Jennifer Love Hewitt. Who looks a, like our friend Stevie Hancock's monk a little bit. A little bit. Did I see, do see it. Yeah. Do you see that? She's Wait, only um, got a couple of lines. Jennifer she's not really a huge. In this film? She's yeah. Margaret, who's the girl that doesn't she's want to look. The makeup. Uh, that she doesn't want to wear an ugly robe. Ah. What is she being in? I'm sorry. She rings a bell, but I, I'm sorry, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I can't she recall. She was in... Um, I have, like, oh, I know what you did last summer. Yeah. And the and tuxedo. Go- and the ghost whisperer. That's right, the ghost whisperer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just generally a lot of schlock of various kinds. Uh, no, I do like the kids. They're just not the nuns, you know? Like, compared, like, would I rather spend more time with these kids or the nuns? I'd always choose the nuns, 100%. Yeah, I think good enough precisely sums up why people turned on this film. Because, like... I don't think if that's the case. If they're good enough... And I don't think like, people did turn on this film. Well, 7% on no, Rotten Tomatoes. No, people didn't like this film, and then they turned back and looked at it and reevaluated yeah, totally. it. Totally, but the <laughs> initial instinct of, like, where are my friends? I fell in love with these people. Why does Maggie Smith playing second fiddle to all these other people? Like, I, I've just from a uh, thinking around the audience reaction, it's not how I personally feel. Um, but, yeah, that's why I think maybe people were like, what the fuck, where's my nuns? Yeah. Yeah. I just, th- I think there's just like a lot of clumsy writing in the second one. Like, obviously, there's a lot of convoluted writing in the first one, but I'm like, why did they have to fly Dolores out to like ask her to teach? <laughs> like, what if she refused? There is no, I, don't, I cannot think of any clean ways that they could have got Dolores to come back and be in the nunnery again. Like, there's absolutely no way that I that think plot ever makes sense. The fact you're doing a sequel never makes sense. But just like. Um, and at least we get a really cool musical number that of her true. telling her life from her story of Sister Act 1 in song at the beginning of Sister Act and 2, then, which is a great scene. And then, like, um, Lauren Hill's mum, played by Cheryl Lee Ralph, the original Dina mm. in Dreamgirls. I'm just imagining, like, in this watch through, that this is what Dina got up to after <laughs> she retired from Dreamgirls. Would make sense. Would make be, sense. That like, would be why. She's just like, no, yeah. you're not following you're not, down that path. But also just that whole arc for me was just like, what? It's like so thin. I do, and like the I'm thing dying. with the mother that doesn't want the daughter to sing. Though I feel like the way that maybe it's the the way the actor plays it, but also like there are references in there that like you know, uh, uh, Lauren Hill's dad, that that yeah. character was a musician that was trying to make it and then didn't manage to, and know, caused just... a lot of grief on the way. That I'm like, I can't understand actually why you would want your daughter to not pursue a singing career. <laughs> um, I wanted you could more of a conflict because it. to me, I was just like. She's clearly in the wrong. Like the mum was clearly in the wrong to me. Yeah, but I, I mean, wanted more I... of like, so like I wanted to see why she wasn't villainous, <laughs> like why it didn't mean to, like. And I, yeah, she did have a couple of throwaway lines about her, her dad, um, being a musician and not making it and dying. But like, I wanted more of that meat. I buy that stance though. That's not something that I expect to see in a sequel to like a a runaway comedy. <laughs> uh, it's like. Yeah, like, sometimes you can get into this mindset that the arts aren't as important if you have to, like, so. you know, put food on the table. But Shirley Ralph did slay that part. 
in my opinion. Yeah. But um, I think she, you know, I think and she to carries me, it. One of the like the thing that has always plagued me was why Maria didn't just copy the other classmates <laughs> when she was asked to sing Mary Had a Little Lamb. We've had this discussion before. Yeah. <laughs> she could have copied them. They haven't there wasn't there hadn't been anybody that sang it the tunefully was the sound. whole way through. No um, there was correctly. The girl before. with the like short cut. Yeah, but she only did the first line. Yeah, but all she needed like to do was the first line. <laughs> Honestly, that moment was highly relatable. Uh, like, I was James like, is not I am a with you, girl. No, no, it's not around singing. It's about not knowing a piece of pop culture <laughs> that every, seemingly everybody else knows and having to admit to the classroom, to the uh, drinks outside the theatre, to wherever, and whatever social circle being like, I, I don't know this. <laughs> Um, one of the other um, pros of this film is that it's um, directed by Bill Duke, who is an iconic um, actor and director, um, uh, uh, African-American star of... He's in Commando, he's in um, Predator, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. It, this film feels more black, you know, it feels more I, believable. Yeah. This is the thing I would say, is, like, I think that Sister Act 1 is a, like white comedy with a black lead. Sister Act 2 is a black film. That's, That's my true. <laughs> big argument about like yeah. the racialization of Sister Acts 1 and 2. But also they were <laughs> operating in a white space in the first like film. <laughs> like you know, yeah. that was the appeal of the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's kind of the thing. It's like, it's more, but I feel like it's more targeted, like, at, like, a white audience in some ways. It's all, like, at least, like, a mainstream, like, American audience of, like, wouldn't it be wacky if, like, like this this loud-mouthed, like, black Vegas singer, like, went and joined this, like, nun sort of place? It's, it's, it's more about, like... There's a little bit of uh, not so much like racial tension, but that's kind of feeds into the fish out of oh water narrative. But Whereas, like, how, like, I think, how worried yeah. were you that that Maggie Smith was racist when she first met Dolores? <laughs> I know, I was like, was oh like, god, I'm not gonna be able to, to deal with this. <laughs> well, and in the musical, like, it feels like it's been with like a, a white brush as well because they pair up the only two black characters yeah. into a relationship. That's or the like thing a that I hadn't realised. So in Sister Act, you know, the, there's the, the only other black character is the is Eddie, the, the policeman. Yeah. Um, in the musical, they have like a, she, he and Dolores have like a romance. Unnecessary. 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 Yeah. And I'm like, again, like, you don't have to appear the people of colour. Like. <laughs> like, on, like, one of the things that, like, caught me this time um, watching Sister Act 1 was like, um, when they get kidnapped and sister um, Mary Roberts get, gets pushed out of the car and then, like, she comes running and then, like, the, the lieutenant comes to her um, safety. He was like, don't worry, I'm a cop. And I was just like, oh, I don't trust him. But then, like, the fact that he was a black person in the police force made me like, oh, that's nice, actually. I didn't, like, consider that, like, you know, raciality in the police force. Um in my previous watches of Sister Act. <laughs> but I guess it's been a different time since I was a kid and <laughs> thought about cops more critically. But, yeah, I don't know. I think there's just, like, uh, it's something interesting about the fact that it, there's a black director and also just, like, the number of children of all different races um, really yeah. just makes this second one a lot more of a, like, yeah, multiracial film and makes they that never sort of thing. gave yeah. that um, Asian girl... A line though. Asian is... girl gets one line. 
Does she? I noted there, there's one point because I was like, Asian girl had a line. Got her SAG card. Yeah. Uh, um, talking, of, <laughs> talking of people um, having lines and having a voice, uh, one of our other uh, remote guests is our friend Amy Sullivan, who um, is on the cast kind of camp of things. You can probably tell that Cass digs this film. Amy also digs this film, and this goes it's for picking me up, Amy. a lot of people. Um, so we are just going to be dropping some segments um, from her uh, uh, about this film, and the first of which is going to happen right now. Okay, so I have a lot of feelings on Sister Act 2, but I will just kind of go through some of the main pointers that I love about Sister Act 2. It's sort of part of this um, making kid rich kids mad recipe trope that we see in film a lot of the time um, you can see that in Bring It On All or Nothing, the best of all the Bring It, Bring it On films in, in my opinion uh, Cool Runnings Step Up, this kind of underdog taking over the rich kids at what they're good at um, but the reason this trope is recycled so much is because everyone loves it, everyone loves an underdog um, and, th- and that's why we see it so much and so commonly in these films. I can't talk about Sister Act 2 without talking about when they pull their robes off. It is phenomenal. It's classic movie magic moment, but it's it's just perfection when they pull off their robes. Um, it's just it's just great. Um, I mean, Lizzo recreated it. It's it's just such a feel every time I watch it it's just such a feel good moment of them all pulling off their robes it's great I think one of my favorite things about like Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit is the fashion I love everything that they are wearing and I want to buy and wear everything like those kids are fashionable I know they're just wearing day to day clothes but in 2020 those like their fashion is 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 popping like (laughs) It's it's amazing. Like it's just especially in Joyful Joyful at the end. It's Joyful just Joyful is beautiful. beautifully like <laughs> I also appreciate that they referenced rap in Joyful Joyful, which is really cool. I mean they referenced OPP by Naughty by Nature, which is They also, you know, the, the Janet they Jackson it to, section. Yeah, exactly. Very but good. it was weird because it was like you done with G O D, yeah, you know me. Um, <laughs> it's weird. But I appreciated it. I mean, another quirk of my childhood is that I probably didn't hear a Michael Jackson song until I was probably uh, intermediate age. Wow. Uh, but I grew up with a lot of Janet Jackson. I love so Janet, yeah. clearly my family just like, we really love the slightly more like. They had their politics sorted right from the start. <laughs> they, they could see the something. Slightly coming. more underground, but you know, so well, the Janet I, Jackson reference strongly Jan- hit. Yeah, that's great. Like, um, and 90s were Janet's heyday, anyways. Like, late 80s. Yeah. Um, 90s were her heyday I guess Michael's big heyday was like early 90s mm. late 80s because um, yeah by the time we were growing up he was already white so yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I just the, the songs I think like the songs in Sister Act 1 are good um, I would say the songs of Sister Act 2, there's just more of them. And I, I don't know, I think there's also overexposure bias here, so I can't really, like, do a big, um, you know, like, comparison of which is the better soundtrack, because obviously I know Sister Act 2 has won a lot more. But I do think Joyful Joyful, Oh Happy Day are both just, like, for me, in the top sequences of music in film, period. Like, I, think I just both, love them both. I think they're both like, good. <laughs> I think what I f- like like about the Sister Act ones better is the the charm of it. Just like 
because you're not sure how the first performance is gonna go, and they sang pretty, they sing pretty traditionally, and then boom, here comes the choreography. Boom, here comes the heavy shoulder. Boom, bring it home, ladies. But I would say there's this sim, like Oh Happy Day has a similar effect. Like it's kind of, I think again, the the best version for me of the the convention of like you've person also- starts singing the solo. You're not sure if they're gonna quite get there, and then they like bring it home, and then they surpass. surpass I don't know. What you've kind of heard them sing, like. You've heard the kids sing, but, but you, you haven't heard them sing together and you haven't heard Amal do a thing. You've only heard him be quiet. Everyone gets the chance to shine when Amal sings Oh Happy Day. That is, I mean, I, I think that's one of the classic scenes from the film that everyone remembers a lot. Um, and there's a real friendship between the school kids. And again, in a lot of these films, I feel like they are pitted against one another, um, whether that's due to race or due to, you know, if they're the jock are the nerd um so this friendship between the school kids is is really quite nice to see and quite refreshing the soundtrack is banging it goes across secular music gospel music 1990s hip-hop flawlessly and it's just executed so well I you guess. know dolores but being like come hear, on Amal, you've got a voice in there like when you yeah. hear the nuns saying they sing badly and then, I don't know, there's something more novel about, like, old nuns doing choreography and, like, cool stuff rather than young kids doing it. Like They have a really diverse cast showing that poverty is non-discriminative, really. And it exists in every race. There are Latino school children, there are white school children, there are black school children, you know, there are Asian school children. There's, there's everyone within this classroom, which I think is really important. I think what I enjoyed about the singing in the first one is because it showcased the characters well. I think it showcased Amal and um, Lauren, Rita. I, yeah, I the don't best know. in the second one, like they were it the does, leads. But yeah. it also has Sketch and um, Frank A. They have their little yeah. rap section, but otherwise I really couldn't tell anyone apart. But like a lot of the the choir singing in the first one was a lot of character voices. And I loved like seeing Sister Mary Patrick doing her like enthusiastic like singing in character. I would I, say though, like I couldn't, like most of those nuns are like unnamed nuns that have like no, a moment. Are, but, but and I say that the same happens moment. in Joyful Joyful where you've got like the trio of the kids doing the, the girls that do the like come and join the chorus bit. You have but, the like boys doing the boys to men like to... close harmony section at the end. Like, they never get their individual moments. And, and my oh, they're God. they're individual moments. They, they are, are individual together, moments. Like four of them singing the same thing though, not one of them. But and, in a, tri- a little trio that's a breakout God, from the major choir. It's a beautiful, it's a great arrangement. It's so well arranged. Every nun gets like a verse and then you can hear, oh, that nun's German. Oh, that nun's like New England. But that's novelty because they're nuns. Exactly. (laughs) You know. Well, in this like shot of like when they do the choreography and Sister Mary Lazarus turns the other way from the other nuns. Oh, it's just like cinematic magic. You can't like recreate the cinematic magic of nuns. (laughs) (laughs) The magic of nuns. (laughs) Uh, what else did we like from from Sister Act Two? I like Lauren Hill's performance. I just uh, like Lauren Hill in general. I think she's good. She, she's... Her her singing is unbelievable when she's playing with her with her friend at the piano and Sister Tanya. and Sister Roberts comes in and um, hears her sing. 
Um, it's just, yeah, the way that she can, I don't know what it is, but she's, I think, trilling up and down. Um, she's like a very controlled, like, yeah. arpeggio and, like, yeah. Um, the real star of the film is Lauren Hill. Um, she is 17 in this, she is 17 in this film, which is, just blows me away. Her acting is sublime. Her voice is ridiculous. Her voice is ridiculous. There's a duet in it of His Eyes on the Sparrow. And every time I get it, I just get the biggest goosebumps ever. Uh, chills. Just chills. Um, she's 17 in this. Um, I also really like Sister Act 2 because I, I feel like it does something that a lot of these other films of this genre don't which is they discuss poverty in a really realistic setting um the school kids are balancing school and work and then there's there's this real understandable question of you know why should I pursue an education or a talent when I've got mouths to feed at home and I have to you know my mum needs support at home you know it, it's hard to follow an education when literally food is on the line and and I feel like they examine that well within a film that is a a comedy sequel and should we talk about her her, late, her lateness and all of that stuff not this has <laughs> nothing to do with the film but this is James being like could you tell me <laughs> no, about Lauren Hill no I, I I know the history of it but I'm just thinking for for context like how many people know like oh she's uh, famous for, for our audience so every time like there's a joke that like when you go to a Lauren Hill concert, concert, all the white people are there on time, but yeah. all the black people get know to get there like three hours later because that's when she's going to show up. <laughs> she's going to show up about two, hour, two hours <laughs> after your start time, yeah. do five minutes of performance and then go home. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're a, what do you call them? The frontliner, um, the, the, the headliner. Uh, no, not the headliner, the first the person. O- the opening act? The opening act, then you're going to have a great, see, see how many <laughs> gigs I go to? If you're the opening James, act, all about music. Um, you're going to get a great time. Uh, you know, you're going to play yeah. for a long time. Uh, and, well, no, the audience might be pretty pissed off at you. No. Um, Lauren Hill is, like, really a seminal figure of the 90s, but only of that decade. Yes. Mm. Like, with the Fugees, the group that she formed with Wyclef Sean and the other guy after this, and then she went on her debut solo career. Um, her debut <laughs> album for a solo career, sorry. The Miseducation yeah. of Lauren Hill, an iconic album of the 90s. End of life, really. Yep, that's it. (laughs) There's actually a very good um, YouTube channel that I watch called Todd in the Shadows uh, in which he does a whole lot of, like, different um, analysis of various different pop music phenomenons and he has a series called Train Records which is about uh, albums that a a musician has released that, like, tanked their career was Mm. basically the end of their career and he has a very good one on, like, Lauryn Hill's follow-up. I need to re-listen to uh, Miss Education because I love all the songs, but I used to, like, skip all the skits because I don't know why. I just never liked skits in, in albums. I, yeah. But <laughs> I, think I, might, skits. I think I might re-listen to it with the skits in place. This is another... Go back to my family, watch, I listen to a lot of Janet Jackson, is that whenever we listened to, like, The Velvet Rope when I was a kid, they yeah. would always oh, skip yeah. through, like, all of her sketches because yeah. they were, like, very sexual. Like her sex interludes? <laughs> Which I only discovered, right? like, really when funny, I was, right? like, an adult yeah. and re-listened to it and was like, ah, what is this? No, my house was filled <laughs> with cassette tapes because my mom was, a, like, 
kind of a radio DJ. <laughs> like, so I was like oh, filled yeah. with cassette tapes. It all makes um, sense. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, I remember listening to those Janet Jackson albums and just like, I kind of like understood on some level that it was sexual because of the music. Like, but like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand, but I also, I understood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it was a vibes thing. Yeah. Um, so do we have any other comments? That yeah, we like, we've, we've kind of like ranged from like to yeah, dislike. I mean, because we've covered the whole kind of thing. Yeah. I think my one thing um, is that a lot of what made Sister Act such an away hit was, apart from the nuns, apart from the singing, was Whoopi herself. And I didn't think Whoopi was as good in, se- in season two, in Sister Act two, um, than in Sister Act one. It was, I wanted more of her wacky comedic f- bits. I wanted more of her interacting with other people. It was, it was fine. Um, but yeah, I guess... They're, this like, is probably one of the few places I would agree with you in terms of Sister Act One being then Sister Act Two. Is I think Whoopi is gives a stronger performance in mm. the first one. Yeah, when she I think was, she's fine in the sequel, yeah. but she's you know honestly I, she gives a great conducting performance. Like when she's <laughs> conducting the nuns, I'm like, yes, I believe everything that you're doing. <laughs> I guess it's context again because I mean in the first one she's a rebellious like she doesn't want to be chained down. She doesn't want to do this. To hide in the nunnery um whereas in this one she's still fulfilling that motivational role which she eventually comes to in the first one but she hasn't got anyone to push against i guess yeah. i guess she could have pushed I against feel like, yeah, most james of, coburn maybe yeah most of more. her humor seems to come from that earlier part before she's gone through the character arc of understanding the nuns are good people and so this since this I think does the wise thing for sequels kind of have that, that choice of whether they make the character go back to pre-character arc or mm. continue on after they've already I made their change. I did appreciate that a lot about the And sequel. we have, we've definitely like, you know, we've kept to, to post Sister Act 1 whoopee. We haven't gone back to the beginning. Mm. Um, but that does mean that there is less opportunity for her to be um, sassy. I think in this hypothetical third one, I would oh, cause God. her to relapse, you know, like... No, no. James, can you... But then she goes back... Hey, if you are a producer of Sister Act uh, and you want to talk but to a person want... about producer, like, the writing on the, the film, please don't contact James Kane. He's All got right. very bad no, ideas. Sister Act 3, no, no, hang Sister on. Mary Lazarus dies and she comes back for the funeral. <laughs> But then but, she finds out, like, she thinks that the convent is all well and good, St. Francis is all well and good, but in the in the running theme of Sister Act 1 and 2, it's actually going to close down. <laughs> so she's got to get, like, all of the students, Mr. Holland's Opus style, yeah. to come back and in. The gonna do, and they're going to do a concert with the nuns to save the nunnery yeah. as a group. Get the community. See, the, the reason, the reason let me make my, my case with my one. Okay. The reason why she is, she's relapsed, like, just, like, gone to a life of, like, drink and, like, chilling out. Um, <laughs> drink and chilling out. Is, like, I've relapsed into a life of drink and chilling out. Is, like, life sucks in these cities. Gentrification, everything like that. <laughs> Stuff is hard. And, um... The wealth gap has and, increased. And you use that, that, that long passage of time to be like why do we even try anymore I why do, are we even trying I am, gritty put her on like rock bottom and drama. then you can build up the hope aspect of it I am curious it. about like, or else the, she's just being like a, a mother role once again or else she's being like supportive and teaching like she needs she still needs a new arc I mean I'm not mad at like her being pushing up against something there we go I yeah. am thank you I am curious producers about, like, hit me up 
I am curious about what like the like going undercover as a nun scenario would play out in the world of the internet and internet sleuths and because <laughs> this is definitely a plot that would be lo- a lot less plausible now. Catfishing as a nun. Particularly the section where like Harvey Keitel's gonna look at the TV but then he's distracted and she's just like on television <laughs> doing okay. witness protection. New, new idea. It's it's the circle but it's all with nuns. <laughs> you have to <laughs> suss out which one's the real nun. Who? Uh, which one is the nun? And who's the Dolores? Who's yeah. faking it? All right, that's that's my piece. Great, we need to get some food in you. No, <laughs> um, I I I haven't really chatted around what I like about this film, mostly because it, I agree with what you guys say. I think yeah, it's an it's a good wise pivot personally. That it's you can't do the same thing all over again. And um, Dolores has moved on as a character, and I think there are things that you lose. But oh, I feel like I'm wrapping up. This feels like a wrap up speech. Um, is there anything we want to say before we get to Bag It or Biffa? Only thing Bless I want to you. say. The only thing I want to <laughs> say is there is definitely a scene that was cut from Sister Act 2. And yeah. I've noticed this, this. I watched this most recently probably like a year ago and then this week. Um, and both times I noticed it. There's this point where the head priest who's in charge of the school is having a conversation with... Uh, what's it called, um, with Reverend Mother, um, and is saying, like, oh, oh we but, have to deal but, with Dolores, like, such she's been causing havoc, right. and she hasn't yeah. caused havoc yet. That's right, yeah, absolutely. And she's, like, she like, was do- getting up to something last like night. She's, like, leading a pep rally or something. Also, yeah, and I'm, like, what? when did she do that? Also, she didn't do that. do you guys detect the sexual tension between Father Maurice and yes. Mother Superior? When they're sitting, Extremely oh sitting in the audience in that final yeah. sequence. Like, they're like, we used to get up to stuff in our day, didn't we? <laughs> and, they just, and I'm like, damn. <laughs> Guys, you're not allowed to do that. I ship it, though. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, but, also, but yeah, there's definitely like a scene missing in that spot. It, does, it just does I not do, make sense. <laughs> one thing I do want to point out before we wrap up is the amount of eavesdropping that goes on in Sister Act 2. Like, really clumsy. <laughs> like... <laughs> So Dolores overhears the plot to like close down the school because yeah. the doors to like Father Morris's office are not it's shut. Basically wide like open. A jar <laughs> <laughs> by a foot. And then when like Sister Dolores, Sister Dolores, a uh, sister, yeah, Dolores, Sister Mary Clarence gets in trouble because um, you know she took the kids out for like, a field trip. You see Frank K and like Amal like out like listening through the and window. And they're, they're always they're like, always visible. eavesdropping with such a like. Huh? Like, <laughs> a little lean in. It's like, really, come on. Like, you're basically begging to be, like, overheard. Like, <laughs> One of the other yeah. um, good points I want to shout out is the is the fathers uh, um, that we didn't really get, get to. Oh, um, the fathers are, are, yeah, they're, they're pretty fun. Yeah, they're pretty fun. Um, Father uh, Ignatius and Father, Father Wolfgang. Father Thomas and, yeah, Father, Father, Thomas Thomas. And Father Wolfgang. Yeah, uh, one of them, like, loves to make sausages out of everything, uh, and they eventually end up, uh, locking up Crispy, James Coburn, in a cl- uh, closet uh, with a big old sausage. Yeah, Ignatius is just really fun and charming. He's also the guy that loves mice and the Green Mile. Um, yeah. Should we get to Bag It or Biff It? Let's do it. Bag or Biff. 
All right, I'll go, go first last. because yeah. like I'm just obviously yeah. gonna go first. It's not a secret that this is so deep in the bag for me. This is like this was already in the bag. I can't believe it was ever put out and discussed. Um, it's it's just well, it was out of the bag from film. the beginning. <laughs> um, so I have bagged this film entirely. I love it to pieces. It's so much fun. It's just great. Cool. Um, yeah, I I was walking into this like really unsure about it. I mean, obviously Cass had um, praised it to high heaven, uh, but it just seemed like a strange kind of um, pivot. It had such a dark kind of rating, and you you are like, oh, really? We're going to to kids after nuns? Is that the right direction to be going with? Um, and it really did win me over. I really like um, the the struggle of all of the kids and that. Uh, like Whoopi being inspiring isn't my favorite Whoopi, but it's still like she can still do it in spades. Like I She's want a movie her to, star. Yeah, yeah, I want her to teach me. I want her to inspire me, um, and she does because she she said that awesome quote just recently of like, why would I get married? I don't want somebody in my house. Um, <laughs> she is an inspiring figure. So relatable. <laughs> On screen. She's a, apparently she's a great, great screen. grandmother. Yeah, she is. Oh. She, she was a Love grandmother it. during this film, I think. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and I will be definitely checking out um, the rest of her oeuvre um, over the lockdown um, period just to fill in those blanks. Um, so, yeah. A lot of stinkers. She's got a lot of stinkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start with the, the better ones. They'll go with the good <laughs> ones. Uh, but this is a bag from me, um, and I would love to see a Sister Act 3 so long as the, she is... If not front and center, definitely a, a big part of it. Cool. All right. Well, you already know how I feel about Sister Act 1, one of the best films that's ever descended upon this earth from the heaven. Um, you, know, you know what's funny about Sister Act 1 is that, like, I remember this. Like, every time they go over Reno, I get sad. Like, I remember feeling that as a kid because I knew the film was going to be over soon. Aww. And I was just that's like, so oh, cute. I remember that. Um so, you know, whatever was going to come after was always, like, I think, you know, me and Cass are pretty passionate about which, about our own sister acts, you know, like the ones you we know, prefer. You know, and I definitely, I would bag Sister Act 1 as well. Yeah, I'm not exactly, going to say, yeah. like, it's a bad film. Well, to me, I'm just like, anything that would come after would obviously pale in comparison. It doesn't clip along as as, as quickly as, as Sister Act 1. It's not as funny, but there are moments there which are really good. I really do like the fashion in Sister Act 2. Um, I really like the musical numbers and obviously the iconic line, your teacher says, take off your robes. So despite not being like enough nonsense, nonsense, not enough <laughs> nuns, I, I still really actually really like this film. It's just not Sister Act 1. So it's, it's a bag for me. Trouble bag! Trouble bag. I was right. surprised that this was mixed when no, well, this was. Like, it I wasn't would, even mixed. I it was just pan. Yeah, exactly. I was. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was mixed when um it first came out because yeah, I can justify this being mixed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like panned when it came out. So yeah, I, I just don't oh, understand man. that. <laughs> the big question that you've kind of. Uh, pushed or like the big statement is that sister act two is better than sister act one now that you've seen sister act how do you feel i still think sister act two is better as to having seen sister act once and sister act the musical once um just because i think what i find more interesting is like 
the musical numbers and I think there are more musical numbers and they're better ones in Sister Act 2. Sister Act 1 I think still has some good musical numbers but there aren't enough of them and like I don't find nuns as funny perhaps. <laughs> it's nuns, like, I whoopee, think the nuns are good. Funny music. But, yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm, you need. I'm Maggie also, Smith being a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also in the camp of, of I I can see that there's been there's more work being put into Sister Act 2. Also, can um, we just talk about how much better Maggie Smith's performance was in Sister Act 1? That's true. She um, was such that's, a bitch. That's probably true. She just gets so much more fun. <laughs> she doesn't have much to do in Sister yeah. Act 2. She's probably the one that has the, is, that gets shafted the most, yeah. I think, yeah. in the I pref- still prefer Sister Act 1. Um, one of the things that's kind of criticised, and Amy kind of brings it up in her um, comments, is there is no um, rehearsal time. Tom is very upset by the logistics in films not working and there being a lack of them uh where is the rehearsal time also seen in all of the pitch perfect films where's the rehearsal time when you're having a hostage crisis but uh i'd actually say that sister act 2 puts in the effort to show that they are i would think that this is one of the few things like things that doesn't do the we only see the performance once at the very end because we have like the full scene of lauren hill like practicing this particular arrangement of joyful joyful around the house so like the only thing that I think is, is improvised is the costumes. Like, the rest of it, that was how the performance was supposed to go. You know what I miss that was, like, really well done in the 90s, and this is also in Sister Act 1, is the movie montage. Mm. Mm. Like, in Sister Act 1, there's a whole movie montage about them cleaning up the community, and it's fucking great. And yeah. here is, like, kind of a montage of them rehearsing. You've got some rehearsal montage. But also, like, we talked about Mulan earlier. There's that montage of her, like, becoming a better soldier. Like, uh, why yeah. don't we do movie montages anymore? Like People got bored of movie montages, but, but it's time such, to bring them back. They're such an effective storytelling tool if you nail them. Like, Yeah, there's some cute so montage exciting. moments in the half of it, I'd say, I think. That's yeah, cool. I feel yeah. like it, it. It's coming back around to that. It's circling I hope back around. So. Yeah, because we need a little cheesiness back in film. Hmm. All right, is that it from us? Yeah, so we've concluded our 1993 season, and so uh, we're going to be jumping into a new season soon. But in the interim, uh, we're we're watching a lot of screens right now, right? We were on our TV, we're on our phones. But sometimes it's good to just get away and just get into the woods. Just get away from everything and just go to the village with Kevin Kahn, um, <laughs> who is our guest um, for next week, um, the M. Night Shyamalan Max Bag. I mean, he started wavering for a bit and we're going to get into it. It's got Jesse Eisenberg. I'm in. So. I've never seen it. Neither. <laughs> Yeah, the cast is star-studded. Um, I don't know if it's available on streaming sites, but have a look. Um, and uh, we will be catching up with you. And then we're going to get into a very exciting new season, which we will be announcing next episode. That's all. This is Sister Mary Kane, just tuning in to let you know that you can follow Mixbag at MixbagPod on Twitter, Mixbag Podcast on Facebook, or Mixbag Podcast on Instagram. You can also email us at mixbagcontact at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it really helps people find the pod. Thanks very much. All right. Well, from our convent to yours. Bye. 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 <laughs>